Does it seem to you like our society is crumbling at its very foundations? Why is it that everybody seems to have different definitions of right and wrong? How am I supposed to know what is the right thing to do? The Bible speaks boldly to the relativistic approach of many people and has clear answers on how our modern society could be a much better place. Together we are unlocking Bible prophecies. The rise of an international pandemic. About the coronavirus. Polarizing global politics. The mismanagement and corruption. Increasingly destructive natural disasters. And the bushfires in Australia are a warning of what may be to come around the world. What does it all mean? What does the future hold? Join international speaker Kami Udman on a journey for answers in unlocking Bible prophecies. In her travels around the world, she's come face to face with real life struggles, but in the midst of them, she's found miracles of hope. Join Kami Udman for Unlocking Bible Prophecies as she shares how Bible prophecy is being fulfilled faster than ever before. Hi, I'm Cami. Welcome once again to Unlocking Bible Prophecies. This continuing series of presentations will lead you on a discovery of the greatest prophecies of the Bible. You can go to awr.org forward slash Bible to watch all previous programs and find some powerful resources for further study. Just click the link below to connect to our online Bible school. There you can ask a question or send a prayer request for your specific needs. Also, we'd like to hear from you in the chat, so leave a comment or ask a question there. Now, in our previous pre presentation, The Warning, it was amazing to realize that we really are living in the final moments of Earth's history. God loves us so much that He always first sends a warning to prepare His people for major world events which affect their eternal destiny. And the fact that God is calling for people to be ready for Jesus' return is a powerful reminder of how much God desires a personal relationship with each one of us. I do hope that you will watch every presentation of Unlocking Bible Prophecies to be prepared for that day. Today's presentation, The Way, is a presentation that is shocking to many. The solution to some of the greatest challenges of society were written down in this book yet it has been readily ignored by the masses. Today we will see some amazing principles of life emerge from the pages of this book. Recently, my video crew and I were in the jungles of the Philippines, caught in the middle of a thunderstorm. I found myself taking shelter under a small thatched covering. I wasn't alone. I was sharing this space with some killers and thieves. Stay tuned for that story. Now let's pray as we study the way. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for providing us with biblical answers to know the way back home to you, to return to a perfect garden of paradise, your original plan, Lord. Open our hearts and sharpen our minds to have a deeper understanding of you and your character so that we may vindicate it, Lord, in everything that we do. Lord, we thank you so much again for bringing us all together right now to study your word. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, amen. So why does everyone seem to have different definitions of what's right and wrong, good versus evil? Our first topic together, we studied how the Bible informs us of a war that broke out across heaven. 
What was this war over? Simple. Lucifer's pride grew into hate for God and his law, which is God's way of doing things, the very principles that heaven lives by. Sin originated with Lucifer in heaven. Now, what is sin? The breaking of God's law. Heavenly beings innately knew God's law. Lucifer rebelled. Next, he lied and manipulated a third of all the angels to rebel against God's law. And after Satan was cast to planet Earth, he then deceived our first parents into rebelling against God's ways too. Satan has led this rebellion against God ever since. Satan has the greatest motive to distort and twist these truths in any way possible to divert humans from accepting God as their king. All of this rebellion is against God's government, his set of standards, his rules to live by. You could even say his character or his leadership style. So exactly, or what exactly is God's style of government? Bottom line, it is love and freedom. God illustrates the ultimate love by creating us with free will, allowing us to choose his way or be in opposition to it. We are in constant pull to either follow God's way or rebel against him, to choose right or wrong, choose good versus evil. So what exactly is his way? We don't have to guess. He tells us himself in his holy word, the Bible. The Bible provides some concrete answers. Let's review our theme. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, then it's not for me. Let's look at Exodus 20. Here we find the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments to keep us out of bondage. Think of it this way. The first four commandments show our love for God. The last six show our love for our fellow human beings. Let's look at them in sequence. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. So here we can see that God spoke, and all of Israel is listening and acknowledging the fact that God just rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. So what he's about to say next instructs them how to stay free from any bondage and shows them what freedom really is. Let's not forget the unseen battle going on behind the scenes between God and Satan. The devil must have been observing God speaking to the Israelites, and I imagined him cringing when he heard the thundering voice of God review his heavenly principles with the human race. Because these same ten rules are what he hates, the very thing that he rebelled against in heaven. Plus, if humans follow these laws, it makes Satan's work much more difficult. Now, verse 3. This is commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. When I read that commandment, I sit back and I think, if I was God, king of the universe, and I had just created an incredible planet, and I love my beautiful creation so much that I would do anything and everything for them in the most ideal, ultimate way, I would want my creations to acknowledge me as their God, love me by their own free will, trust me, and enjoy a personal relationship with me. And because I would want to protect my human race, I would desire for them to not be misled by counterfeit gods that I know 
have no power. Conversely, if I was Satan, I would desire for humans to stay occupied, even obsessed with anything besides God. And it wouldn't have to be gods of other religions, but anything that could be put in place of God, whether that be riches, fame, position, or even television shows that usurp humans' thoughts and time. Anything to get them off track. Hmm. Friends, the first commandment shows God pleading with us to love Him back without any stumbling block interfering in an intimate relationship with Him. He desires that we cherish Him and not the things of this world. We are not to have anything in the place of God. He is to be our number one. Now Exodus 20 verse 4 is commandment number 2. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. I can see why God declared it a sin to worship something man-made with material objects. This lowers man's con uh, conception of God. If you are bowing down to a stone carving or waxed figure, your mind is not on God above, but instead you're attracted to the creature or created thing rather than to the creator. As society's conceptions of God lowers, man himself becomes more degraded. In my travels around the world, I witness various multitudes of people paying homage to different images and idols. Many of these idols are broken down, semi-deteriorated, worn, and have no life source. Many of these gods resemble terrifying monster faces and have distorted, disfigured bodies. They are always selfish gods. Isn't it interesting that the living God is selfless and all about pure beauty? This is reflected onto our planet. From gorgeous flowers to breathtaking landscapes, from tropical birds to colorful sunsets. So isn't it interesting that man-made gods of this world are often hideous and grotesque? If I was God's chief rival, that's what I'd do. God says he's a jealous God, meaning he loves you so much and is willing to do whatever it takes to save you. God's saying, please don't make up replicas and fakes when I'm offering you myself the real deal with all the power of the universe. God is the living God, whereas all of these counterfeits crumble or die off and are buried in their graves with zero power to resurrect themselves or anyone else. We show our allegiance by worship. So there is no doubt that the enemy of God would mess with who and how we worship. God says, don't attempt to come to me through images because you can't. I have made a direct pathway between you and me. Come to me directly. Satan is constantly endeavoring to attract attention to man in the place of God. He leads the people to look to bishops, to pastors, to professors of theology as their guides, instead of searching the scriptures to learn their duty for themselves. 
Then, by controlling the minds of these leaders, the devil can influence the multitudes according to his will. Prophecy repeatedly shows this is the very thing that's happening. Also, in this commandment, God calls attention to parents, advising, If you as a parent choose wrongdoing in your life or make a god of anything in this world, your child witnesses this and is influenced by it. God is warning that your children are likely to follow in your footsteps, so be careful who your God is. He cautions, If you lessen your time with me throughout your life, it will be their tendency to do the same. So you need to consider that you are influencing how much your great-grandchildren will know me. I love how God ends this commandment. He shows mercy to thousands, to those who love him and keep his commandments. Let's move to verse 7, commandment number 3. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Does it matter what comes out of our mouths and how we express ourselves? Yes. God's request here is to respect his name. Our Creator deserves our respect as a sign of our loyalty to Him. This commandment not only prohibits false oaths and common swearing, but it forbids us to use the name of God in a light or careless manner. Every unfallen creature of the universe knows that God deserves respect. It is only we that are fallen that seem to think profanity and swearing is okay. Stop and think. God says, respect my name. So if I led the rebellion against God, I would tempt people to curse him as I know it hurts him deeply. So friends, when we uplift God with our words, it pleases him. And I know that's what I want to do. Exodus 20 verse 8. This is commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I love this commandment because it is so beautiful and personally needed. Our Creator loved us so much, He knew we would enjoy and need this weekly re rejuvenation. This 24 hours is a time of worship with Him to celebrate blessings and give thanks. This is an opportunity to bond with our families while making God the center of it all. Now, if I wanted to sabotage God's kingdom, I'd definitely mess with this commandment the most, as it signifies so much. God wants time with humans and a personal relationship with them. So I would do everything in my power to make sure generations forgot the only commandment that God said to remember. And if they did remember something about it, I would distort and twist it. Friends, for me personally, I look forward to keeping this commandment every week because the benefits are not only spiritual, but also physically and mentally rejuvenating. Now, verse 12, commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. I know that when I have not done this in the past, 
When I disrespected my parents in some way, I felt terrible. Whereas when I treat my parents with love, kindness, and thoughtfulness, I feel so good, not only about them, but about myself. Also, this commandment has a promise for a long life. We are to honor and respect our earthly parents and our Father in heaven. There are lessons we can learn from God's nature. I heard a story about a man in India who bought a cow from a neighboring village and brought the cow to his home. The very first night, he noticed that the village dogs began to bark incessantly. They installed a security camera and were surprised at what they saw. They tracked down the original owner of the cow because of the curiosity of the leopard in the photos. They were shocked to find out that the leopard's mother had died when the kitten was only 20 days old. The people came up with an idea to try having the cow care for the baby leopard. And that's exactly what happened. When the kitten grew up, they returned her to the forest, but she did not forget her savior who nurtured her. No matter where the cow is today, the leopard comes every night to visit her mother. What an example of honoring the one who raised her. Parents are to represent the goodness of God, to shelter their children through the storms of life and be their rock and support. I know that some of you have been deeply hurt or abused by your earthly parents. So how do you honor them? It is important to remember that our Heavenly Father forgives us, so in turn, He can help us to forgive them. We can pass on the forgiveness that we receive. Plus, this benefits the healing of your own heart. Exodus 20, verse 13, commandment number six, you shall not murder. If only our world actually followed this seemingly obvious rule, then we wouldn't have to worry about traveling anywhere at any time, day or night. I could go for my power walks without any concern in any neighborhood, in any city of any country. Instead, when I travel to document miracles, many times I have bodyguards or military escorts. Recently, my video crew and I were in the jungle of the Philippines, caught in the middle of a thunderstorm. I found myself taking shelter under a small thatched covering. I wasn't alone. Next to me were my two videographers, a multi-generational family of about 20, plus chickens, dogs, cats, goats, and yes, even a family of pigs. And as we huddled together, Jasmine shared her story with us. She told me about the day that she and her family were eating their breakfast, and suddenly the peace of the morning was shattered by rapid gunfire. Her husband, Antonio, grabbed his assault weapon. He was no stranger to war. As a guerrilla fighter, he and his wife had seen some fierce battles. Now, the constant spray of bullets could mean only one thing. The government soldiers had ambushed them, and there seemed no way of escape. Antonio ran out the front door, and Jasmine grabbed the children and escaped out the back door, making a dash for cover in the jungle. They knew of a secret hiding place there. As a communist rebel fighter herself, Jasmine was more angry than scared by these repeated encounters. Usually she felt no fear at all. As she lay hidden with her children, Jasmine wondered if her husband would survive. They waited for what seemed an eternity, and then the sounds of battle grew distant until finally all was quiet. When they returned home, they saw Antonio's body being carted off by the government soldiers. That day, Jasmine lost her husband and the children lost their father. Antonio's body was never recovered 
and this experience hardened Jasleen's heart even more. How she hated the Philippine army soldiers. She decided then and there to raise her children to be the best fighters possible to avenge their father's death. The oldest boy was only 10 years old when this happened, and by the time he turned 13, he had joined the guerrillas. Jasleen was proud of him. She taught the younger children how to sneak through the jungle without making a sound, how to forage for food, and how to be sharp shooters. Their young hearts hardened as well. But one day, Jasleen turned the dial of her small FM radio to an unfamiliar station called Adventist World Radio. A man's voice began to talk about a man named Jesus. This Jesus was kind. He loved people, regardless of their economic situation. He was all-powerful and he could heal the sick and even raise the dead. Jasleen was fascinated. She began tuning in daily, and her heart began to melt as she heard of a God who loved her and offered her care and forgiveness. A desire began to grow in her heart to experience a new kind of life. She decided to turn her life over to this Jesus, put down her weapons, and try to wrap her mind around the concept of forgiveness for even her worst enemies. Soon, her boys began listening to the program with her, and one day, her son said he'd had enough of fighting. He, too, laid down his weapon to follow Jesus. When Jasleen met the radio broadcaster, she asked him with tears in her eyes, Pastor, why did it take you so long to tell us about Jesus? If only you had started broadcasting sooner, my husband would not have died. We would have learned about God and given up our rebel fighting ways before it was too late for him. Today, Jasleen and her boys love Jesus and keep his commandments, and thou shalt not kill is what they live by. Now they are warriors of a different order, choosing weapons of much greater power than their AK-47s. Their new weapons are faith, hope, and love. Friends, all acts of injustice that tend to shorten life, such as hatred and revenge and wishing harm to others, violates the Sixth Commandment. Verse 14, Commandment number 7. You shall not commit adultery. If humans were to obey this law, oh, marriages would have a high rate of success. There would be no fear that your partner was giving him or herself to someone else. God's view of marriage is a bond of trust and purity. It is the ultimate experience of love on this earth. When this bond is broken through adultery, it shatters the hearts of entire families. Without a moral compass, our society is void of clear direction and becomes confused and derailed. Our society says, your own mind is the standard. There's nobody who can tell you what to do. If it feels good, do it. If it brings you pleasure, do it. Two consenting adults can do anything they please, right? Everything that God wants you to have pleasure with, the devil has twisted. The devil has twisted the word love into lust. Satan's goal is to break up families, loosen morals, and spread diseases and distrust so that partnerships dissolve. He loves to divide and conquer households to break down society. Aren't we grateful that God forewarns us how to preserve our homes and achieve, happy, achieve happiness and peace within? What a perfect plan God has to sanctify marriage. Exodus 20, verse 15, commandment number eight. You shall not steal. 
God is referring to many aspects here. The obvious is not to rob a bank or take something that doesn't belong to you. But even beyond that, we are not to take advantage of someone who is weaker or less fortunate or anything that is considered fraud. Now, if I was, a, if I was God's arch enemy, I would have people live in fear, clinging to their stuff, spending money and time on insuring their stuff, hiding it and then worrying about it and then grieving it when it was taken away. God's plan was that everyone gets to enjoy the fruits of their own labor without the worry of it being stolen. What a perfect plan. Verse 16, Commandment 9. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. When we lie, in reality, we are fooled into thinking this gets us out of a hot situation. But what we are really doing is creating more chaos for ourselves because we now have to remember, who did I tell what, when, where? Lies create a self-imprisonment. It's like every lie puts up another jail cell bar around you. You get trapped in your own web of lies. Gossiping, telling white lies or partial truths, selective omissions and exaggerations violate commandment nine and comes from the author of lies himself. And who's that? Well, the Bible can tell us. John 8:44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. God wants us to speak truth. That means being true to your word. Here's a story to illustrate. And I love this little story about Jack, who lived during the Great Depression of the 1830s, when money was really scarce. His family were simple farmers struggling to get by. Jack wanted to be able to help his family out. All he had was a pole, a hook, some worms with a creek nearby. He decided to catch fish and sell them at the market. Every single day that summer, he would go down to the creek, cast his pole into the water, and bring up a fish. He actually made a deal with a store merchant who said, Jack, I know you're doing this for a good reason, and so every fish that you give me, no matter how big, no matter how small, I will pay you 50 cents. Now back in the 1800s, 50 cents was a lot of money. Jack fished every day that summer. Sometimes he would bring in extremely small fish. But that merchant did not roll his eyes. But for every fish, big or small, he paid Jack 50 cents. This helped provide for Jack's family for an entire year through that winter. Jack started feeling bad though, questioning whether he was taking advantage of the store owner. One day he got a hit on his line and he started to pull back on the fishing pole. This fish just wasn't any fish. It was huge. The story says it was over 30 pounds. As he pulled it out, it was the biggest fish he had ever seen in his life. As he was walking to the marketplace, a stranger was driving by and spotted the boy with a giant fish on his back. He thought to himself, whoa, that's a trophy fish. He stopped abruptly and said, hey, I'll give you 50 cents for that fish right now. And Jack replied, sorry, sir. I can't do that. Someone has already spoken for it. The dialogue continues, and Jack got the offer up to $2.50, which is a lot of money in the 1800s. But Jack refused. That is very tempting offer, 
but the store owner that I have been selling my fish to has taken some pretty rough bargains. He has taken some really small fish for 50 cents a piece. And I think it's time that the store owner gets a fish worth his money. Jack made a decision to be faithful to a commitment he made. Now that is the definition of a true witness. Jack grew up to be one of the most famous generals of his time, General Stonewall Jackson. And early in his life, he made the decision to be a man of honesty, a man of integrity, and a man of value, true to his word. Now verse 17, commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Friends, this strikes at the very root of all sins. It prohibits our selfish desires, which can start a domino effect of other sins. You know, there's a Bible story you can read about in 2 Samuel 11, where King David covets his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba. This is a perfect example of how coveting leads to many other sins, as it led David to lie, steal, and ultimately murder Bathsheba's husband Uriah so that he could have her as his own. Now, if I was the leader of the rebellion against God's way, I would make sure that everyone was dissatisfied with their lives. I would keep them in a constant rat race and make envy grow in their hearts. Like, wow, my neighbor has such a beautiful house. I would do anything to have a house like that. I would blind their eyes to all of God's blessings so they would instead focus on what they don't have. I would also create a false ideal, like Hollywood, that people would covet and could not live up to in order to keep them in constant frustration. I'd stir it up with who's the sexiest, who's the wealthiest, the fastest, the funniest, and make it all a competition. When people don't feel like they measure up to these standards, it's easy to become depressed or try to find value or love in all the wrong places. God gives you your worth because you are a child of the King of the universe. He provides what you need. And for that, I am thankful. God's law is like a force field or wall of protection, prohibiting us from falling into one of the many landmines of sin. On our own, we are weak against evil powers without holy protection. We need to surround ourselves with God's standards as we wander on life's path. Every choice has a consequence. It is Satan's goal to trap humans in mistakes and bad decisions. He schemes to deliberately destroy and maim people spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Whereas it is God's desire for man and woman to be happy and live in peace. Obeying God's rules will save us from learning things the hard way, but by themselves they won't give us a personal experience with God. In fact, a list of rules without having an actual relationship with God can be a miserable experience. A young couple got married and enjoyed a beautiful ceremony and honeymoon. On the first, very first morning together as husband and wife, the groom hands his bride a piece of paper. He says, I've made up a list of things for you to do every day. It will make our marriage go smoother. Every day you must get up at 5 a.m. I want a full breakfast and make sure my shirt and pants are ironed. After he read through the lengthy list, he posted it on the kitchen wall. Be sure to check each item off when you are done. 
The bride's eyes grew big as he continued, I will make a new list when he, we have children as there will be much more to do then. Everything had to be done exactly according to his list. Every evening they went over the check marks on her list as he would bark out his orders. Needless to say, she got so sick and tired of his demands that finally, as expected, their marriage ended in divorce. Then a few years later, this same woman fell in love with a kind, wonderful gentleman, and they got married. It was a dream life together. They both felt like they were floating on air. They had such a fantastic marriage, and she'd help him and he'd help her. They loved spending time together growing a beautiful garden. One afternoon, she was going through some boxes in the attic. She found one of her ex-husband's to-do lists. Her face turned red. Her heart started racing as anger welled up inside her. As she read the list out loud, she realized something. Get up early. Hmm, I still do. Make breakfast. Hmm, I still do that. Iron my suit. Hmm, I do that too. She was still doing all the same things on that list that once made her so mad when she was told she had to do it. But now she had a loving marriage to a grateful husband and she was choosing to do these thoughtful things for him out of expressions of her love. The reason we obey is not because we're trying to earn God's favor. It's the response of our love for him. I do not obey God to earn my salvation. I obey God not in order to be saved, but because I am saved. The rules that seem so stifling before you knew God will suddenly make sense in your life, and it will no longer be about trying really hard to do the right thing or what is expected. It will be all about the relationship. There is a misunderstanding out there that God is waiting with a thunderbolt, ready to smite us when we mess up. If that were true, we'd all be smoking cinders right now. God isn't up there waiting to smite. He's up there pleading with us to choose a different path, to avoid the awful consequences he knows are out there. The law is also like a mirror, friends. It reflects back to us who we really are. We think and see in our own minds who we want to be, and in our minds we may see ourselves as smart, loyal, and honest. There's a man we want to be or a woman we try to be. But when we look at the law, what do we find? The law may show us a reflection of ourselves that we have never seen before. We fall short and we see ourselves as who we really are. So when we accept Jesus, he comes in and he puts his robe of righteousness around us so that when God the Father looks at us, he sees perfect, precious Jesus. And then we are accepted and saved into his kingdom. Now that we have these 10 rules fresh in our minds, Let's shift gears and examine some popular questions or concerns about the Ten Commandments. And as always, allow the Bible to give us the answers. Can God's Ten Commandments be changed? Luke 16, 17. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle or detail of the law to fail. Psalms 89, 34. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Psalms 111, verse 7 and 8. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. Malachi 3, 6. For I am the Lord. I change not.
Under no circumstances can God's Ten Commandment law ever be altered or changed. It is as permanent as God Himself. Three times in the Bible, earthly kings, Herod, Ahasuerus, and Darius, made laws they later wanted to change but could not. If the laws of weak, vacillating kings were unchangeable, how could anyone think that the eternal law of God, written in stone by His own finger, could be altered? It is no more possible to change God's law than to change God Himself. According to the Bible, what is sin? 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of the law. Romans 3.20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The devil hates the law because it makes us aware that we need a savior from sin. Did Jesus keep the Ten Commandments? John 15.10, I have kept my father's commandments. That's pretty clear. 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his footsteps. Indeed, Jesus did keep the Ten Commandments as an example for you and me. How many people have sinned? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the punishment for living a life of sin? Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. If God's law could be changed, it would not have been necessary for Jesus to die on the cross. The fact that Jesus paid the penalty for sin and died is proof that the law is unchangeable. Some say the Ten Commandments are Old Testament and are not applicable for us New Testament Christians. What does Jesus say about this? Matthew 19:17. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. John 14:15. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Friends, the opposite would also be true. If you don't love me, don't keep my commandments. Revelation 22:14. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Revelation 14:12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, the New Testament plainly teaches that God's people will keep all his commandments. We know that the world is in big trouble today because so many no longer feel it is important to obey God's law. The Bible speaks of our day by saying, It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. That's found in Psalms 119, 126. You may be asking yourself, how is it possible to keep the commandments? Philippians 4:13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hebrews 8:10, I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts. A person's entire nature is changed, so he finds God's will is a pleasure. Can I be a true Christian without keeping his commandments? 1 John 2, 3, and 4. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Are people saved by keeping the law? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest anyone should boast. No one is saved by keeping God's law. All are saved by the miracle-working grace of God. By those who are saved or transformed by the grace of Jesus, they will want to obey His law as an expression of their love and thanksgiving to Him. As you have heard the message today, are you seeing that God has a holy law? Now, am I going to mess up? Yes. Do I intentionally want to break the commandments? No. When I do fail, I sincerely ask forgiveness of my sin. Then do I need to question whether I've been forgiven? No. Jesus says when you ask forgiveness for your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? If you haven't cleaned your slate in a while, do so tonight, friend. Jesus offers this to anyone no matter what you have done. Don't let the devil whisper in your ear that you are not good enough, that you somehow don't qualify for heaven. There isn't a sin too great for Jesus to forgive. Don't let another day go without having the assurance that you are made white as snow. Is it your desire right now as you watch or listen to say, Lord, I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Lord, I want to be obedient to your law through the power of your Holy Spirit. If so, just click the link below and indicate that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, want to be obedient to God's law. Friends, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, tonight we have learned what your way is for our lives. And if we follow your law, we can live life to the fullest, both now and for eternity. Thank you for wanting to put this hedge of protection around us. Please empower all those who have heard your message and are making decisions to walk in your path. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, amen. Friends, don't forget, our live Bible instructors are standing by right now to answer your questions. Thank you so much for watching. God bless you and please join us again tomorrow night to understand the authentic seal. This is a crucial message that you do not want to miss. Thank you for joining us in Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Choose God's way. Good night, friends.